Calloway? Um, I barely know her. <laughs> yeah, that's how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording and pay respect to the elders past and present of the Yuggera and Turrbal people, sovereignty was never ceded. And this is Online Mole Patrol, ready for a stroll down internet memory lane. I'm Hacklock, a visual artist and chronically online older millennial. And I'm Brian Butts, kind of like Aaron Brockovich, but with better tits. Have you already done that one? No. Okay, good. Because it's good. <laughs> Um, are we going to do a summary of what we're talking about today, or should yeah, we just get into I, it? I want to talk about um, Carolyn Calloway. Ooh, I know that name. Yeah. But I have not refreshed my memory, so... Okay, very good. It's been a while. Um, and we're going to do a bracket battle, right? Yes. Yes. Do we, you want to know what it's about? Do you want to tell me what it's about? Yeah. Okay. Trump tweets. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and uh, finally, we're going to have some hyper-local news. Yes. Sweet. All right. So, shall we? Yes. Got some printed notes because I'm <laughs> all about it. Real business. Carol my cows away. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to delete it. <laughs> <laughs> delete, delete. <laughs> so, working title, uh... Two angry broads read Wikipedia. <laughs> Carol and Calloway. Yes. Just a throwback to that um, Dick Masterson. <laughs> Maddox brouhaha. Have we recorded since... Um, I don't think we have. So, uh, gentle listener, you may or may not be aware that um, following the Maddox uh, episode airing, airing, being published, what do we say? Uh, being released? Being Yeah, since it was released. Into the wild. <laughs> um, somebody sent it to Maddox and somebody sent it to Dick Masterson and Dick Masterson mentioned it in his podcast. Yes. And um, a lot of people <laughs> a lot. listen to the podcast. <laughs> a lot of people who I don't think otherwise would have known about it. So we were a bit like, ooh, how is this going to go down? And so somebody in a comment section um, described the podcast as um, two angry broads read Reddit. <laughs> Which uh, made me laugh a lot. And sure. Yeah. <laughs> Except I don't read Reddit. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I spent but... enough time on 4chan. I've just had it with that kind of an interface. Yeah. Brings back bad memories. Yeah. Bad forum memories. Um, so I want to talk about Carolyn Calloway. Sorry. So Carolyn Calloway's thing is that she posted on Instagram with long captions. That's like the whole thing, right? It's her whole identity. That's how I understood it. <laughs> Loves it. <laughs> um, so she joins Insty in 2012. She's posting about how she's going to uni at Cambridge and she's writing big old captions. Yes. Um, and she purchased followers. 
Oh. Yeah. Um, I wasn't in on the ground floor of this phenomenon, like the writing long captions on Insta post kind of thing. Mm. Um, mostly because I refuse to engage with Instagram in any meaningful way. <laughs> it's insane to me that Instagram's been around since 2012 and I've been refusing that whole time to yeah. engage with it meaningfully. I still am going to try and make you get into the gram. Well, you tried to get me into Twitter and that failed as well. True, but I didn't try very hard. Yeah, so I don't think I came across her stuff until uh, there started to be dramas. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, I found out about the whole thing in 2019. It's really, you know, it's reasonably contemporaneous as a Mm. drama for me. Um, After Natalie Beach publishes an essay titled... I was Carolyn Calloway. So my engagement with this whole story in the first instance, like as Natalie Beach tells it through this essay, was uh, like a particular flavour of bruise pressing for me. Um, Like, you know how there's six stories in the world? And one of them is the one where you meet another girl and she's so amazing and charismatic and you're drawn into her gravitational pull and there's this really intense non-romantic relationship that develops and ends up, you know, resulting in some degree of codependency and then it all falls apart in the most dramatic way possible. Yes. (laughs) A classic tale. A classic tale, as old as time. Uh, Now, I love stories about these relationships and their ends about as much as I love being in those relationships. (laughs) So I was all about it. And if there's elements of cringe tied up in it, all the better. Yes. Right? Oh, there definitely is. So um, from Natalie Beach's essay, there's this opening paragraph, which gives you a bit of a taste, I think. Um, And also, like, you know, she starts by saying, Today, Carolyn is a 27-year-old Instagram influencer with almost 800,000 followers. She's also writing this as a 27-year-old. Yeah. Right? I think when I was 26 or 28, I was like, oh, is this a real grown-up age? You're a fucking idiot when you're 27. Yeah. But you're also a fucking idiot when you're 29. And oh, a fucking I'm idiot a when fucking you're idiot at 35. Yeah. What can you do? It just depends on the person. There are people who are adults when they're 21, and then there are people who are adults when they turn 57, you know. And there's some people who, like, die a child. Yeah. Hopefully me. (laughs) (laughs) So Beach writes, Today Carolyn is a 27-year-old Instagram influencer with almost 800,000 followers. A self-described writer, art historian and teacher, she first became internet famous for diaristic captions chronicling her misadventures as an American undergrad at Cambridge University and was later known for the mysterious disillusion of her big book deal. After that, Carolyn fell out of the public eye for a year, but returned this past January on a tour to promote her creativity workshop, which was billed as a tutorial to architect a life that feels really full and genuine and rich and beautiful, but ended up being compared to a one-woman fire fest. She charged participants $165 a head and sold tickets before booking venues, made promises she couldn't deliver on, Orchid crowns, cooked salad, and true to form, posted the whole fiasco in real time. It seemed like the entire internet saw a pallet of 1,200 mason jars delivered to her studio apartment and her pleas for ticket buyers in Philadelphia to just take the train to New York. She became a symbol of, as journalist Kaylee Donaldson put it, the empty mason jar of the influencer economy, which prompted (laughs) Carolyn to begin selling t-shirts that read, Stop hate following me, Kaylee. 
I remember the Flower Crown festival-y drama. I remember being glued to that. Yeah. And, like, checking her Instagram account and seeing the updates and then checking the accounts of people who were like, I tried to attend or I attended. And, oh, there was a real Fire Festival-esque feel to it. It felt like a scam from what I was reading at the time anyway. I mean, I think some of my impressions of it in terms of it being similar to Firefest was somebody thinking that all they needed to do was just believe in themselves and that they could put together, you know, what are quite serious undertakings. Yeah. Like project management kind of stuff to make a thing come together. Yeah. Let's do it and be legends. Yeah, that was her. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also included this second paragraph um, because I thought that that would be a fun time. Um, So Beach goes on and writes, More recently, her Instagram has been filled with emotional posts about this very article which she knew was coming. For almost a week, she's been posting constantly how much she misses our friendship, how hurt and ashamed she is about whatever she thinks I'll say here, how relieved she is that I broke the trust in our relationship so she can now write about me too. It's been surreal watching this unfold from my desk job in Los Angeles, but I'm not surprised she's taken an essay of mine that didn't exist yet and turned it into a narrative for herself. Carolyn was the (laughs) most... <laughs> oh god. I think one of the things that glues me to the story and like it's been a long time since I've read this and like looked at her Instagram and all of that is that I know people like this. Oh, that's why it's so delicious. Yes. I know this flavor of manipulation mm. and this flavor of narcissism. Carolyn was the most confident girl I'd ever known. We were both 20-year-old NYU students when we met Carolyn arriving late to the first day of class wearing a designer dress, not knowing who Laurie Moore was but claiming she could recite the poems of Catullus in Latin. She turned in personal essays about heartbreak and boarding school, had silk eyelashes and wore cashmere sweaters without a bra. Now I remember why I wanted to include this paragraph. (laughs) She seemed like an adult, someone who had just gone ahead and constructed a life of independence. I, meanwhile, was a virgin with a meek ponytail living in a railroad apartment that was sinking into the Gowanus Canal. Yeah. So I think I wanted to... It's that mystique of a woman that that feels sophisticated. To you as a younger girl. Yeah. Or as a young girl. Going, that's sort of the level of mystique or sophistication or quirkiness that I aspire to. It's like Calloway only really exists as a character in opposition to the way Beach imagines herself to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I promised myself that I would be able to put together some kind of meaningful timeline of how this unfolds, but that's certainly not how it's going to happen. <laughs> okay. I thought it would be good to just sort of walk through Beach's essay okay. in the first instance. That's Well, you know, that sort of replicates for you how I'm coming to this in the first instance, I suppose. Sure. It's definitely all about me. <laughs> Speaking of those relationships where you're drawn to a narcissist. Hey! Wink. <laughs> okay. So as stated already, Beach and Calloway meet when they're both 20-year-old NYU students. Calloway likes an essay written by Beach about how she's from Yale. Calloway really, really wanted to go to jail. And so Wait, Ca- Yale or jail? <laughs> Both. <laughs> so Calloway invites Beach to her apartment. It has turquoise walls, orchids, and hardcovers. Calloway and Beach split a joint, and Calloway tells Beach that she's beautiful. 
actually, it, could this just be the first act of some kind of like queer porno? It, it yes, <laughs> yes, it definitely this could be. It also could be like that teen coming of age where you've got the 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 young, slightly dorky but still very beautiful, um, young woman. Then they just like her. make over her eyebrows and she's a hottie. Take a take a ponytail out. Oh, they take the glasses off her and everybody's like, oh my God. And she's like, I can't see. (laughs) (laughs) But then, you know, she learned something from this relationship with this woman. I guess it is very much the manic pixie dream girl. It's like a flavor of that. Yeah, but it's like for another woman rather than for the purpose of enhancing Ah. the life of the man. Yeah, cool. Mm. Yeah. So Beach starts going to Calloway's apartment after every class. They go out to dinner. They go to secret parties. They go to the theatre. An anecdote from Beach worth telling for the purposes of character development, I suppose, is um, this. That September for her 21st birthday, I gave Carolyn a gift. Three dinner plates stamped with the Yale crest that my mum had found outside a campus building. I took a Sharpie and wrote, fuck it, on their backs. When Carolyn unwrapped them, she broke into tears, real tears. I paused. Was this really that excellent of a gift? Had she never received something stupid and personal before? Which is why I was surprised that later that winter, she nonchalantly informed me that the Yale plates had been stolen out of her apartment. What do you mean they were stolen? I remember asking. They're worthless and you live in an apartment filled with Apple products and antique furniture. (laughs) She told me it wasn't just the plates and insisted that her Exeter ring had been stolen too. It just didn't make sense. Who would steal a bunch of used plates scrawled with permanent marker? It was the first time I felt sure she was lying to me, but I didn't call her on it. What was I going to do, torch everything we had over a gag gift? And if she was lying about the stolen plates, then maybe she was lying about the extent of our friendship, or me being a beautiful genius. (gasps) (laughs) Even a few weeks later, when I saw her once again wearing her Exeter ring, I didn't say anything. It was easier to listen to her talk as we strolled through the West Village, past the Waverley Inn, where she made me promise we'd go together when we officially made it. That's um, that's a bit f- funny, isn't it? That makes me think of that dynamic in abusive relationships where somebody tests your boundaries early on to see how much they can get away with. Yes, yes. Funny, funny, funny. Mm-hmm. A year after Beach and Callaway meet, Callaway is on Insta, posts a picture of a colour wheel of macarons, which ended up on the favourites page and got 50,000 followers. Beach says these were mostly teen girls who wanted a life like Callaway's, and she writes, Carolyn had always been obsessive and confident, but Instagram focused those qualities like sunlight through a magnifying glass. (laughs) So Beach assists Callaway to build a brand on Insty, hashtag Adventuregrams, to pay Callaway back for the cost of flights from a holiday where they miss some non-refundable flights back due to bad wind. Beach starts editing Callaway's Instagram posts to pay her back. Yes, this is coming back to me now. Yeah. Beach writes, it was 2013 and the internet felt like the future of writing, at least for girls. The boys from our classes were churning out different versions of Fear and Loathing in Bushwick, but I believed Carolyn and I were busting open the form of nonfiction. Instagram is memoir in real time. It's memoir, memoir without the act of remembering. It's collapsing the distance between the writer and reader and critic, which is why it's true feminist storytelling. I'd argue to Carolyn trying to convince her that... <laughs> 
a white girl learning to believe in herself could be the height of radicalism, convenient as I too was a white girl learning to believe in herself. I remember Roxanne Gay saying that this whole narrative with these people was um, depressing and white. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think it is very. There's a lot of privilege here. I remember being this tied up in my own shit in like 2010, 2011. Mm. Oh, I was a white girl um, tied up in her own shit before it was made cool by these cunts. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that that has always been... uh... I remember thinking that it was, you know, really radical feminist stuff to just write about yourself as a woman on the internet. Now I'm like, a million white women on the internet, just sit the fuck down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. I don't think I'm pretty enough. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sort of like thinking of things like uh, reality bites. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 Want to watch Reality Bites? Sure. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, At the end of the summer, Beach returns to NYU for her final semester and Calloway goes to Cambridge University. Beach's living situation goes to shit and she proposes that she sublet the turquoise orchid apartment in exchange for working on Calloway's captions. Calloway says yes to this in the first instance, but then ends up coming back to Beach and saying some stuff has changed and what she would like is for Beach to manage the apartment as an Airbnb rental for $200 a week and Beach can use that money to rent somewhere else. Beach doesn't really want this job and seems to feel complicated, shitty feelings about Calloway and femininity, I suppose, and she's looking for other jobs and she's listing hashtag adventuregrams on her resume Mm -hmm. with the position as editor and PA to Calloway. Beach ends up getting work painting apartments, editing essays and doing warehouse work. Hasn't been able to nail down the kind of social media job she was hoping she'd be able to get. Um, 2015, Beach discovers that Calloway is doing a press tour and has an agent and she reaches out. I think there might have been a little bit of a lull in their friendship here where she stops doing the Airbnb stuff and does some other stuff. Um, So, Has she stopped writing the um, captions as well? I think she did stop writing the captions at some point. Yeah. But then there's this bit in 2015 where Beach discovers Calloway's doing a press tour and that she's got this literary agent. She reaches out. Beach ends up hearing back from Calloway a week out from when her book proposal is due and she needs help. So they're 23 by now. They're high on Adderall and they do a draft of the book proposal and Calloway proposes to Beach that Beach be Calloway's paid editor. Mm -hmm. Turns out that what they wrote when they were high was shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) But then they spend two months working together to produce the actual book proposal while Beach is working a landscaping day job. It's 103 pages long and the proposed title is And We Were Like. Great. Yeah. But the literary agent says that there's real talent in the work, which Beach Mm. is pretty happy with. The agent shops the book around and Flatiron, which is, uh, I think, a subsidiary of Macmillan, Mm -hmm. um, agree to pay $375,000 for the book. Um, January 2016 and a mutual friend lets Beach know that Calloway is having a tough time back in Cambridge and is not sure she can finish the book. So Beach goes to Calloway in Cambridge, messages her and is like, don't panic, I'll be there right away. Yeah. Which I think sort of speaks to 
the intensity of well, yeah mm. the kind of dynamic that's yes happening here so a really important point for me to bring up here is that in Cambridge Callaway is living in King's College whose alumni include the inventor of the flush toilet <laughs> This is very relevant to your interests. Yes. <laughs> B-Butts loves the toilet. I do. It's an iconic design. So Beach's plan is to complete a draft in two to three months while staying in Cambridge with Callaway, but the situation was not good in Cambridge and um, and Callaway, by the sounds, was quite depressed. Yeah. Yeah. The I remember reading about that and going, this seems just like genuine depression. Yeah, just stuff about, you know, turning up and there being two garbage bins and one's full of daffodils and the other one's full of Prosecco corks. <laughs> and Callaway's not going to any classes and she's not hanging out with any friends and she's not doing any work yeah. on uni and she's wearing a fancy gown and she's, not getting changed out of it and having to be made to shower. Yeah, she's isolating and she's not taking care of her personal hygiene no. and all of that stuff. No. So Beach writes, it was around this time that Carolyn revealed to me that for all these years she'd been lying about her origin story. She hadn't in fact gotten famous from a picture of macarons on Instagram's favourites page. The real story, she told me, is she took a series of meetings with literary professionals who informed her that no one would buy a memoir from a girl with no claim to fame and no fan base. And so Carolyn made one, taking out ads designed to look like posts to promote her account and buying tens of thousands of followers. Carolyn said this was before the Federal Trade Commission published guides for influencers. This could ruin everything, I thought. We'd sold the proposal based off a false number. Wouldn't there be consequences? If the bedrock of Carolyn's Instagram account wasn't true, then was any of it? But to Carolyn, the ploy was a statement of intent. She was a self-made woman exploiting a new form of media. Women spend too much time apologising for promoting their work, she told me. I mean, yes. Maybe. Mm. This was, I think, much more common in the early days of Instagram. Yeah. Um, and that there are plenty of people whose fame is from the falsely inflated numbers in the early Instagram days. Yeah. Now you can kind of look up how many bots people have following them. I wonder how many I've got. <laughs> how quickly will it take you to figure that out? Not very long. Um, I don't have that many followers though, so he thinks I have a very low ratio. No. Oh. Um. Don't worry, one day you'll have bots too. <laughs> so Beach and Callaway go on a trip to Amsterdam and Beach writes, the trip was ostensibly to view Van Gogh's almond blossoms for Carolyn's dissertation, but we ended up going out, having a few drinks and flirting with the bartender at a tavern known for its beef stew and apple pie. When he went to refill our glasses, Carolyn told me that in order to attract men, I had to allow myself to be chased like she did with her boyfriend. Well, men treat you very differently than they treat me, I told her. <laughs> look at you, look at me. I was in scuffed Timberlands and leggings under my jeans while Carolyn wore a lacy baby doll dress with knee-high suede boots. Being the foil to a hot girl was taking its toll and writing someone else's love story was even harder. Ghostwriting for Carolyn was like writing in a new tense, first person beautiful. The rules of time and inevitability were just different for her. But the bar in Amsterdam was warm and the wine quickly became complimentary. Carolyn had a way of drawing the world into her. 
the bartender kept sliding drinks our way and I thought, why not try being coy and optimistic for once? Why not try being like Carolyn? As the bartender counted the till, I told Carolyn I was staying behind to have an adventure. He's so cute, she whispered and told me she would take the Airbnb key and get to work on a paper for class. We hugged goodbye and she pulled on her fur, positioned herself on the back of a stranger's bike and was whisked away. Where's your friend in the dress go? The bartender finally said. I told him she had a boyfriend in the Swedish military, but I didn't. He told me his apartment was too far away, but we could go to the bathroom. The bathroom I knew was a single stall in an unfinished basement. There was wet toilet paper on the ground and mold on the walls. I sighed and asked him to take me home. Ten minutes later, I was deposited outside the apartment Carolyn had rented. So I had been sexually rejected by a bartender, not the first time, wouldn't be the last. I buzzed the door, but Carolyn didn't answer. I called her cell, which rang and left Facebook messages that showed up as delivered, but unread. It was two in the morning, but one of the worst nights of my life was just beginning. Whether I huddled on the stoop, walked with my head down, or camped out in a train station, men always found me. I was harassed by a group of drunk Irish teenagers, Dutch... Dutch crust punks and a DJ who told me he wrote poetry about murdering Natalie Portman. An old man grabbed my hand and kissed it and a chef with braces found me hiding in a stairwell and tried to take me home with him via ferry. As the sun rose, a Starbucks barista told me I looked terrible and let me wash my face in the industrial sink and as the city opened, I tried to get some sleep in the bathroom stall at the photography museum but the automatic toilet kept flushing. Oh grim it's a very special part of the story to me (laughs) throughout the ordeal i kept attempting to contact carolyn i became convinced something terrible had happened when we parted ways soon i'd have to identify her body i thought rehearsing what i'd say to her boyfriend but then at noon she finally answered the door yawning she asked me how my adventure went i pushed past her shedding my filthy clothes in the hallway you have no idea what i went through last night i remember shrieking why didn't you answer your phone She told me she assumed I was home with the bartender. This is what I tried to tell you, I said, and for the first time I broke down. I stood in front of her in just my leggings and a bra, sobbing stupidly. Men treat me differently than they treat you. Everyone does. I collapsed into the rented bed. Carolyn hovered over me, weeping too. And the really messed up thing is that the whole night I thought something terrible had happened to you, I said, but you forgot I existed. I have some problems with this narrative, actually. I don't think that Carolyn is... This is sort of positioned as the... um, Like the end of... The thing that precipitates that end of that chapter of the relationship, but... I mean, it's purely from her point of view. Yeah. It's her experience of those events. I'm not so much talking about that. I'm talking about the way that she's framing her anger at Carolyn or, like, the choice that she's making and being angry at Carolyn. Like, she took a risk and she's allowed to, Hmm. but sometimes they don't pan out. And I think she's maybe making some assumptions about, and maybe some of them are right, about how easy life is for Carolyn or something. You know, like... Oh, yeah. I've been that side of the equation as well. And I've been that person who's so angry at the other person who I think is beautiful and who I think has an easy life and I think breezes through everything. Yeah. But it was actually like a really self-defeating sort of selfish and self-centered way for me to engage with the world as well, because 
I was really stuck on the idea of how hard everything is for me. Oh, yeah. And you get that feeling like, who's the character in um, Bojack Horseman? Diane. Yeah. There's an element of Diane to her here where, yeah, you know, but that's a mo- like at that time, that's emotion coming from having a really awful time and sitting there for hours in the cold to stew over it while someone else is just sleeping and not actually, they didn't answer the phone, but they're not sitting there for hours staring at their phone going, I'm not going to answer it. They've just clopped off. I think the thing that makes me really suspicious of the narrative here Mm. is when she says, um, I became convinced something terrible had happened to Carolyn. Oh, right. Yeah. Because I've done that too before. Where it's like I'm wanting to concoct an extra. This is me as a young and you know fairly shitty kind of person, yeah. a real dickhole for quite a while in my life. Um, where you concoct, like it's not just enough for things to go wrong and for you to be hurt. You have to keep on putting together these layers of why you're, you're the, the good guy yeah. and somebody else is the bad guy, and like positioning yourself as. The victim in the story mm. and it's like she decided to wait at a bar to hit up a bartender for sex who in her telling of the story hasn't expressed any particular interest in her throughout the night yeah so getting knocked back and having trouble getting home is one possible outcome to that scenario that you're accepting could arise when you take that risk like you're allowed to take the risk oh yeah i don't know i also think there is a level of she's allowed to be mad and upset that she couldn't get into the apartment but it's like not carolyn's fault necessarily unless we assume that carolyn is there going ha ha i'm not going to check my phone yeah yeah which i yeah i don't think she is i don't know i can sympathize in that i think if you are in if you are traveling with someone, um, there's a level of, you know, you should be checking in with them, especially a fellow girl, um, another woman, checking in, making sure they're okay and everything's going okay. I mean, these are young. They're like 23 here, right? Yeah, but I uh, have been in the habit of texting friends, getting home from bars. Did you make it? You're home okay. You're much more conscientious with that than I know I am. Yeah. Um, someone going off with the dude, checking in with them and going, are you cool? You're cool. All right, sweet. Do you need a pickup? No. All right, cool. Like just that kind of level of checking in and making sure your mates are all right. And it seems like Carolyn just switched off. And that's a bit, I think that is a bit. Oh, but I mean, the other thing is that they were drinking all night like yeah. does carol do they get home and does carolyn just pass out yeah that's also possible yeah yeah but it's sort of and yeah it's her speaking to her experience and stuff but she's quite reflective in the essay about a range of things but she doesn't seem particularly philosophical about the nature of the anger that she's directing at in this particular Calloway in, yeah in, in this instance but that's i just thought that was interesting i'm not sure that that's even something that i was thinking too hard about when i first read this thing mm. i was like actually i'm a bit sus on this um, 
So Beach stays on with Calloway for a couple of weeks to keep working, but she remains hurt and angry. Calloway graduates. Beach gets a job harvesting lettuce at a Whole Foods and stops replying to Calloway's messages. Beach ends up moving to LA in the fall of 2016 and they're trying to write the book together over Skype. It didn't go well. Beach tries to buy time by writing a quarter of the manuscript herself, but Calloway hated it and threatened suicide if Beach wrote any more. Later, Calloway told a New York um, fact checker that she wasn't suicidal because she disliked Beach's writing, but rather the, because of her addiction and because she was uh, she sold a memoir she couldn't write. Um, I think I've only mentioned Adderall once in here, but throughout the essay, there's you know a number of mentions of um, Calloway yeah. taking Adderall. Yeah. Um, Beach says um, after that she pulled away and watched in real time on Instagram as Callaway counted down the days until she missed the final deadline for her book contract. Carolyn claimed her failure to write the manuscript was an intentional stand against the patriarchy and a publishing industry that insisted her life story be defined by the men she dated. Anyway, her publisher asked her to return over $100,000. Beach and Callaway fight... Big fights and small fights. Beach tells Calloway by email that they're through. And Beach writes, Since then, Carolyn has become for me something to explain during job interviews, a party anecdote. People ask me if she's a female, Billy McFarlane, both characters from Ingrid Goes West, Anna Delvey with an art history degree, but I push back. If it was just money and fame she was after, all she had to do was be quiet and let me do the work. She could have been paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, gone on the tour she always wanted, and recorded the audiobook in that beguiling voice of hers. But she had to be the one to tell her own life story, even if she couldn't. Carolyn was caught between who she was and who she believed herself to be, which in the end may have been the most relatable thing about her. This is why when people ask if Carolyn is a scammer, I try to explain that if she is, her first mark is always herself. I found that bit very insightful. I thought that was pretty... I thought that, yeah. Yeah. You know, that yeah. seemed pretty spot on. Yeah. She could have fully gone in on the scam, but she kept pulling away from that. It wasn't even a scam. Like, you're allowed to have a ghostwriter. Oh, yeah. Um, but she gets scammier later as well. Like the flower crown workshops and... I mean... The tours. I guess it depends on what you think a scam is. Like, I think... I tend to believe that her intention in the first instance was to wish to be able to provide all of those things and that the reality of her inability to provide them only became clear. I, I think everybody watched that in real time. Yeah, but you, but then not cancelling, keeping people's money and continuing to hold events where you aren't providing the things that you've promised to provide is bad business that's fraud you know well it's failure i'm not sure that i would say that it's fraud it's like a breach of contract yeah but if i think about frauds and i think about scams i think about people you know concocting a lie in the first instance mm. never having any intention to do the thing that they're saying that they're going to do like fire festival even wasn't i don't i don't tend to think that that was a scam or a fraud for a time until it became entirely clear that people weren't going to get what they thought they were going to get. Yeah. And, like, you know, maybe that's splitting hairs, but, like, 
you know, I'm not here to say that I think she's a good person or that she did a good job of those things, but I, I can I can understand why people would casually say that she's a scammer. Yeah. But I'm not sure that that's entirely correct. I think she's fucking hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a difference. Yeah. So Wikipedia reckons that Calloway got in with literary agent Bird Lavelle in the first instance by setting up an initial meeting by pretending to his secretary that she was already his client. Yeah. See, I think that's, I mean, it's a way to get the foot in the door, but I also think it's a very dishonest, mm, manipulative, maybe scammy way of getting the foot in the door. But if it was just that one thing and everything else was legit, would you have a problem with that? (sighs) Probably not. Yeah. Except that she's getting her foot in the door there. Yeah. When her writing up to that point and the writing that she's going to provide as an example of her writing is not her writing. I mean, again, you know, people have ghostwriters and it's just a product that you're selling and if you negotiate with somebody else to have the rights and then you... Like maybe, you know, being vaguely dishonest by passing it off as your own work in a marketplace, but also like who gives a shit? Like, I, I do mm. understand that the – and again, I'm not here saying that I think Calloway's the good guy, but I I think – and again, this is all just like white women drama, but I think people love tearing apart a person like Calloway. And I think that if – like that move of calling up, pretending that she's already a client to get the initial meeting – I think in other circumstances we would be like, wow, how ballsy. Mm. What a rock star. But yeah. because there's some other stuff. Yeah. You don't. So, sure. But anyway, should also be noted that Lavelle was also Trump's literary agent <laughs> and, <laughs> and brokered um, publication of the book titled Crippled America, How to Make America Great Again. Uh, so we have form here. <laughs> Lavelle's not really hot on speaking to that association either. Um, Lavelle apparently has commented on his experience working with Calloway, stating that she was deeply unwell, deeply dishonest, and that it was more important to her to be seen as an author than it was to be an author. She didn't know how to be an author, which I think is all true. That fits. Yeah. So Calloway announced via her Instagram stories in 2017 that she was withdrawing from her book deal after failing to fulfill her contract. And following this, Calloway offered the book proposal with personal annotations for sale on Etsy. (laughs) So that part was specifically mentioned on Wikipedia. Um, But apparently Calloway has been hinting that maybe the book deal is still a thing. So Alexa Morsey is the name of a person interviewing Lavelle in a piece, which we can just link to in show notes. And she writes, "Um, after my conversation with Lavelle, I reached out to Carolyn Calloway for a comment. She's yet to reply, but she has responded to the beach piece and talked about her business relationship with her now former agent in a series of essays posted to her personal website behind a $10 paywall that now seeks to raise money for COVID-19 relief. She describes admiring Tucker Max's book and writing down Lavelle's name in her notebook, determined that one day he would become her agent. She confirms that she did, in fact, con her way into a meeting in Lavelle's office and that after she built more media buzz, he eventually decided to work with her. 
She's posted a photograph of the two of them at lunch the day he signed her, and Lavelle is beaming. And Calloway hints that she will tell more in a forthcoming essay. One of the biggest misconceptions about my life is that I'm not still under the contract for that fucking book deal. We'll never find out more because I wasn't willing to pay the 10 bucks to find out what Calloway reckons. Um, sidebar though, there's a Guardian piece that mentions that Calloway had claimed to be the youngest ever person to have their kneecaps removed. Um, someone wrote a blog post called uh, Carol, <laughs> Carol and Calloway gaslit me into believing she doesn't have kneecaps. <laughs> But apparently Calloway's mother confirmed the surgery to a reporter. Why would... Why? <laughs> I, I mean, I talked to a lot of people about their knees in the line of duty <laughs> in the course of my work. Yeah. Uh, and I've never heard about kneecaps getting removed. I've had uh, some knee issues and surgeries. Um, like, you kind of need it. <laughs> Yeah, so apparently the the claims of having the kneecaps removed led to a couple of people trying to, like, sleuth the issue online. Uh, I've just found it. Yeah. There is some pictures of some scars on her knees. Okay. There's, like, whole Carolyn Calloway snark communities, which I didn't delve into. Um, it seems like her kneecaps were too big and they kept dislocating. So when she was a kid, they were removed. And they couldn't leave anything in the kneecaps place because she would outgrow the prosthetics. Mm, something about this smells fishy, but okay. I've had that experience in my life where somebody routinely fibs or lies to you and you just end up feeling like you can't trust anything that they say. Yeah. Like anything in practice, like in real literal terms, that not a word that they say could be true. And then you get stuck in this thing where you're pulling apart every single thing that they say. And um, I, as a young person... it's There's a lack of trust. If you don't have that trust, you assume the worst. I took a 90-minute crosstown trip on a train and a bus to prove that someone was lying to me. Wow. And they weren't. <gasps> But they lied to me about plenty of other yeah. important things. And this was a trivial thing. And I was like, no, I'm going to prove that they're lying. Dang. That would have been really good <laughs> if they had been. If they were. I mean, like, the reality is that they were lying about... It, it is true that they were lying about heaps of really important stuff. But I think that you just get sucked into this, like, vortex of drama and mistrust. Yeah. Where you start going... You start questioning real dumb things, too. Yeah, did they have their kneecaps replaced? It's like, well, who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> I simultaneously really get it and think it's really dumb. Mm. Like, ugh, maybe that's why I like this story, because I think I've been every character here. <laughs> the literary agent, <laughs> the best friend, the star... Yeah, it's just like that time I was a literary agent. <laughs> so L. Hunt, writing for The Guardian, says that Calloway keeps all of this controversy ticking along by providing continual fuel. Writing, trying to keep up with her online is like trying to note the particulars of running water. I love how everybody wants to speak about her in such poetic terms when she's just like a white girl who can't get her shit together. <laughs> like everybody simultaneously loves and hates her um yeah. which is exactly what's happening i think people love to hate her 
Oh, yeah. And they love to watch. And she's cute, but I don't think she's like the most beautiful girl that ever happened. I think maybe there's something about the whimsy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And she leans right into it. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, so Elle Hunt quotes Calloway as saying, the easiest way to explain it is that I just always wanted to write about my life. I wanted to be famous. The idea that my life would be something I shared with the public wasn't just something that I assumed. It was something that I actively wanted. I still want it. So Hunt reports that hashtag Adventuregrams inspired derision in her fellow students and was called Cambridge fan fiction by one of them. And Hunt reports that Calloway has said that she graduated with a second class, which Hunt writes is widely interpreted to mean a 2.2, the so-called drinker's degree. Um, so Hunt also reports that while Callaway paid back most of her advance from Flatiron Books, Callaway says that Flatiron still owns the rights to her story of her time at Cambridge and that though that dark, messy book is not imminent, they are prepared to wait. Yeah. Yeah, all right. So for me, the 2019 Natalie Beach essay moment is intrinsically tied up with the Callaway going viral for a bunch of shitty, disastrous workshops kind of moment too. Yeah. I haven't got a lot of that in here because um, I got really tired of <laughs> continuing to write about this shit and was like, I want to eat sushi. Yeah. When people write about her stuff, they also, like her, write enthusiastically uh, paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs about it. They don't just go, well, I showed up and the salad was shit. What they do is they write, well, I swanned into the room and it reminded me of a Victorian era parlour and the windows had this light coming through and reflecting through the dust that highlighted the empty table where the salads should be. Yeah, it's like somebody like went undercover and wrote an article for Vice and I'm just going to go ahead and assume it was very Vice-like. Yeah. Um, and like I was, yeah, I watched this shit play out in real time um, and... So all of this stuff so far was sort of just swirling around in the background while this workshop stuff was panning out, you know, like her posting when the all of the mason jars turned up at her house and she was like, oh, I didn't think about how big 1,200 mason jars would be. <laughs> how I'd fit them in my apartment, yeah. And just like, you know, if I invite people over, I can, you know, I'm really proud if I manage to cook a meal for people. So the idea that she thinks that she can put together a mason jar and an individual letter for each person and a flower crown and make a fucking warm salad. This seems like the kind of pie-in-the-sky planning that people do when they're having a manic episode. Oh, yeah. This is all the shit I think I can do when I'm high. Mm, Where you just go, well, I'll just order 12,000 jars and then I'll stick these things in it and everyone's going to love it and then I'll do this and then I'll do that. And and you don't actually think about any of the practicalities. And I think think that there's also like this there's something in it that's like this aspirational individualistic um you know manifesting stuff you know like fake it till you make it you know you just have to believe in yourself and keep moving forward and it's like look you know for some stuff like maybe a little you need you need a reality check occasionally yeah but this like actually a huge undertaking (laughs) you know like if you've got capital or funding or something you buy in skill maybe um, so... Oh, I found why she had to have her kneecaps removed. Uh, she had a congenital disorder that causes the knees to grow and calcify to bone incorrectly. Oh. 
to fix the problem, she needed a surgery to remove her kneecaps. The surgery, a patellectomy, because it's the patella, a patellectomy, is real and her description of it is correct. This person says um, it's an older surgery. It's it's sort of debated whether it actually kind of fixes the problem or if there are other things they could do. But it is a surgery that has been done uh, and it is not very common. But there are reasons why they may remove people's kneecaps. Got a little summary here, so you know. Callaway's attempting a global tour of creativity workshops. Yes. So Hunt reports on this as well, saying the venues weren't booked, promised perks were downgraded or not delivered. Callaway sought unpaid labor despite charging $165 a head. She became instantly infamous as a one woman fire festival. Mm. Um, Callaway cancelled all but two events and refunded all tickets, blaming her total inexperience with event planning and greed. She reattempted the workshops in August, billing them as the scam. Some attendees were satisfied, though. She also sells art via Insta at a price point people are happy to criticize as well. It's like 140 bucks. Mm. Seems fine to me. Yeah, that seems fine to me, too. But I think it. Like, I think she's a bit shit, but I also think that people, like, love piling on her. Oh, yeah. They like to pick at her. Yeah. I don't, there's a level here of, I think, a lot of people who are successful influencers, like whether they're YouTube or Instagram or whatever, that often their audiences are largely made up of very young people, like people a lot younger than themselves. Ah. And I wonder how much of Carolyn's following is... Um, you know, aspirational children, basically, like yeah. very young women. And that to me feels dodgy. Like it's taking advantage of naivety and profiting off it. I mean, that happens routinely and we can criticise that as well. But I think it is worth noting that she is a young woman and mm. people are particularly aggressive in their... Oh, yeah. Criticism of her. And there's these tones, I think, of, like, anger yeah. in it that aren't there as much when we see other larger corporate bodies exploiting true vulnerable people in the marketplace. Yeah. But I also, just because something is common, I don't think that that means it's okay. I Yeah. Like, and I'm not asserting that. I'm not saying that it's okay. Mm. I'm saying that I think that there are a set of there's an extra level of vitriol because she is a woman is that what yeah and i think that there it and a pretty woman yeah probably and i am concerned by the fact that 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 the people who are deploying that kind of anger at her aren't examining that and don't seem alive to that yeah that's true you know like you can also be angry at nestle for the you know it's essentially like a scam you know like being out in the global south and telling people that they should use formula instead of breastfeeding their children it'll be better for them which is a lie and Mm -hmm. then you know that actually puts children at risk and there would be children who you know heaps of children who die yeah because of those actions on the part of nestle i think it's something i think there might be some kind of cognitive issue for people where it becomes really hard to personify the corporation and become particularly but, angry with anybody. But also, Nestle's selling a product. She's, she's product selling a product. Is the product. Carolyn is the product. Yeah, so what? But the, the point that I'm making is that people are like so angry oh, yeah. 
with her when she's doing a thing that plenty of other players that people are less angry with who are causing more harm and people are like less angry Mm, yes and no i think there's lots of little communities out there and there's a lot of very angry people (laughs) there's a lot of death threats there's a lot of uh, nastiness that happens when people feel um, taken advantage of or manipulated or whatever. Like, I I think... She's listing a price for a meet and greet. She's putting shitty art on Insta and saying, like, pay me 140 bucks for it. So she, she raises this. Somebody yeah. in one of these interviews is saying, you know, what's going on here? And she says there's two main complaints. And I didn't include it here, but she's basically saying people think that I'm taking money from people and that I'm taking advantage Mm. and she's saying I don't want to take things from people that they don't want to give to me you know they're putting their hand up to yeah purchase these things yeah okay (laughs) like especially in respect of shitty art Mm. like you see it online you pay her 140 bucks oh yeah how much it is absolutely no issues with that yeah no I think uh, I don't know you know, she fucked up the first time she ran some workshops, which is hilarious. And, you know, I think we're entitled to laugh at her hubris. Mm. But there's a different, there's a dynamic in it that's a little troubling to me. Mm. Okay. Especially because I see myself enjoying it. <laughs> like, part of this is about me being willing to examine yeah. what's going on for me. Yeah. Because I know how terrible a person I am because I'm in here all the time, seeing everything that's going on in my horrible, disgusting brain. You're not as bad as you think you are. Uh, You're not in here. So I know that part of why... I know that part of... (laughs) Part of why I find this so interesting and so entertaining is because it's easier for me to hate her because she's a woman. Mm. I know that's part of it because it's part of it for me. Ah. Ah. Interesting. You know when you go to the training session at work that HR puts on and it's about implicit bias? Mm. And the thing that's saying is that you don't address these things by pretending that they're not there like you know you need to own up to what's happening within you so that you can address it yeah and i think that people want to pretend that that's not part of why everybody's so mad at her because she's and like they can be allowed but like let's just be real okay yeah um so hunt reports that Callaway has been diagnosed with generalized anxiety uh, disorder and depression and that after the workshops Callaway started taking antidepressants and continues on a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor now mm-hmm. um and there's a bit where Callaway says that she tends to think that that might have been the silver lining in the workshop stuff that it made her realize how cooked she was right um she sort of was describing having maybe a bit of a dysfunctional relationship with meds up to that. Maybe well, like a self-medication kind of thing with the Adderall. Yeah, yeah. The Adderall thing was obviously um problem. It was a problem. Yeah. She was doing it too much or whatever. Yeah. Um. So Hunt reports as well that Callaway had... And I'll note that Hunt seems to have gone through and done a decent job of... Fa- like, I'm assuming that a lot of the stuff that she's reporting here is fact-checked based on the way the thing's set out and that yeah. she's... I don't recall. Um, yeah, writing for The Guardian. Um, so apparently Callaway had sent Beach a heartfelt apology for being a train wreck during their friendship and had expressed hope that they could start again and make something beautiful out of the mess. 
And a month later, apparently Beach replied, accepting the apology and kindly but firmly refusing the offer of further friendship. And then I've had some trouble timelining this in my head, but apparently Beach's essay is published 18 months after that apology, but contains no mention of it. Okay. Um, And Hunt mentions the popular reception of Beach's essay, referring to one commenter who said, if you can't identify the Carolyn Calloway in all of your female friendships, (laughs) then you are the Carolyn Calloway. (laughs) So So who's the Carolyn in our group? Carolyn Calloway is obviously, and without a doubt, me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Answer your fucking phone. (laughs) Never! (laughs) If you need me, I'll be in an Adderall haze. Um, When there's descriptions of... um, Except that you're very capable of the things that you do. um, I may have a history of over-promising and under-delivering. There's elements of Callaway's lack of consideration, Mm. which... You know, cut a little close to home. Mm. Does that make me beach? Yeah, you're totally beach. You're the one who's editing the captions, (laughs) as it were. I am. I'm publishing the captions on our podcast. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is going to end in tears. Yep. This is going to end in a book deal. (laughs) 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 So... Hunt writes, Calloway says Beach reduced her to the stereotypical self-obsessed influencer, the sum of the dumbest shit she'd said in sophomore year. She really flattens me into a one-dimensional villain. It's not confusing. It's not confusing about who's the plucky underdog and who's the maniacal vapid bitch. (laughs) Most of all, when I talk about being stripped of humanity, Calloway grows somber. Her essay is over 6,000 words long, yet she doesn't use the words mental illness or addiction once. The only mention of her addiction was forced by um, Calloway to a fact checker. She also clarified Beach's passing mention of her threatening suicide. Mm. I don't think that my depression or my addiction excuses or undoes or makes up for any of the ways that I hurt Natalie. Her hurt is very real and my bad decisions were very real. Five years later, I'm still knitting together the broken pieces of my life, says Calloway, her voice wobbling. But she says she was floored with pain to see her suicidal ideation scrubbed from the record. I was shocked. When reached for comment, Natalie Beach said she chose to tell the story solely through my perspective, feeling that it would be presumptuous and irresponsible to otherwise diagnose or label a person I hadn't spoken to in two years. She mentioned the suicide threat because it was directed at me personally and marked the moment I stopped writing her book and the end of our working relationship. That's fair. Like, I mean, we vaguely diagnose people here, but you shouldn't do that. Um, I think if Carolyn had said, though, I have this illness and you should mention that, then you you should honour that. Yeah. Natalie Beach didn't have to write an essay. No. And so she's made a choice that she's going to write it. And then, yeah, you know, she gets to make particular creative choices about how she presents it. Yeah. But also, like, come on. 
And Hunt writes that the week Beecher's essay was published, Calloway's father died by deliberate overdose of painkillers at their family home. Oh, I do remember reading about I that. I didn't know about that part. Um, so Yeah, I remember, like, because watching her Instagram afterwards, she's like, I can't really deal with this right now. My dad died. Yeah. I'm like, ooh. So Hunt writes that Calloway said he was close to bankruptcy and had recently been discharged from a psychiatric hospital after having his petition to stay hospitalised denied. Mm. Oh, the American mental health system. The American mm. medical system. The Australian medica- mental health system. So Hunt writes also, it speaks to the bottomless appetite for Callaway content online that even at 6,000 words, Beach's essay proved the cut's best read piece of 2019 above E. Jean Carroll's accusing Donald Trump of rape. Wow. Beach had pitched her side of the story in the wake of Callaway's first cancellation and was paid at least $5,000, says Callaway. Sometimes I feel like the best thing I can do for Natalie is to just let her capitalize on me, you know, says Calloway. A put down so masterful, I am momentarily left breathless, <laughs> says Hunt. It's like a bitch fight at high school, but it's made the news. Mm. It's an elevated bitch fight. I had a relationship in high school where I was beach that was pretty dramatic as well. Yeah. But also, I was absolutely a shit cunt in that scenario too. (laughs) And it took me years to fucking face up to that. Yeah. Because it's so easy to make that person the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone tries to rationalise their, I think, their behaviour to a degree. It's like to go... Not rationalize. Um, I think I'm a better person now that I've accepted that I'm yeah. a shit cunt because it's easier for me to like integrate these things. Yeah. So it's like easier to own your own shit. Yes. And to try and be a little less shit. Like if you are hung up on this need to not be a bad guy all the time, then you're just going to erase all of the bad shit you do and mm. not face it. I think it's really common though. Yeah, fuck yeah, totally. Like I think that's how people, uh, that's how a lot of people get through life. It's always finding a rationalization for their own behavior. Yeah, how else that makes can them you face yourself? A good person. Yep. I mean, well, but I do heaps of fucked up shit all the time. Yeah. But so does everybody. Yeah. And I still love them. Well, some of them. Yeah. So, I guess it's fine. You know, as long as you're trying. Yeah. To do the right thing. I think, you know, there's heaps of people where you, for, for me, I think, in my relationships, trying and facing it. If people, like, won't face shit or be, like, honest with themselves about the stuff, mm. I'm just like, come on, man. There's not going to be growth there if you're not honest about it. I think that's yeah. part of the thing, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, And also, like, you're going to fucking die. We're all going to die one day. Don't you want to fucking know yourself? Maybe you don't. And also, (laughs) no. Heck to the no. (laughs) 
So Hunt writes that the day after their interview, Twitter is going nuts <laughs> because Calloway has posted an uncensored full frontal nude of herself. <gasps> That's right. <laughs> and made it her pinned tweet. So Calloway wrote that the post was a humble apology for those who had paid for her essay, expecting it to be 15,000 words and only got 6,000. So Hunt writes, that was a really funny joke, Calloway patiently explains when I call her a few days later. The apology part was like when the pizza delivery boy shows up in the first minute of porn. It had nothing to do with what's about to happen. In reality, the nude was her small way of compensating for the loss of a Playboy shoot that she says was slated for this spring. I'd really adjusted to the idea of the internet seeing my nipples. Playboy says no shoot was discussed <laughs> or promises made. Of course. <laughs> so I persevere was the nude to build hype for her essay. I can almost hear Calloway shrug. Then she says something so spectacularly Carolyn Calloway. I think maybe she could be a genius. You could just as easily say the essay was hype for the nude. <laughs> Wikipedia says Callaway announced in January 2020 that she would be publishing a memoir titled Scammer in April 2020, which would be printed on demand and shipped in spring 2020. Calloway subsequently stated on her website that because of delays in production, she would instead be combining her blog, I am Carolyn Calloway, with her manuscript for Scammer instead, allowing her to expand the essay into three parts. In July 2020, Calloway announced that the book was estimated to ship by 31 August 2020. Scammer did not ship on 31 August 2020, and the author has not provided any writing, publishing, or shipping updates. And in April 2020, Calloway was criticised for posting a tweet with an anti-Semitic cartoon with a caption mocking Natalie Beach, her former ghostwriter. Calloway later deleted and apologised for the tweet. Calloway further attracted criticism after she liked and shared a suggestion on social media that she should dress up as Anne Frank for her OnlyFans account. Callaway also attracted criticism for posting an image of Japanese shunga erotic art on her Instagram, which depicted a woman copulating with a bat. Callaway captioned the image, the first human case of the corona outbreak, but oh. make it porn. Attracting criticism for engaging in the promotion of stereotypes about Asian cultures, particularly in the context of heightened racism and xenophobia during the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, that's pretty fucked. So forget all of that other stuff that I said. She's obviously garbage. Yeah. And there's no nuance here. No, I think there is nuance. <laughs> there is. But there's also uh, apparently some racism um, and anti-Semitism there. Sure is. Like a Japanese art print <laughs> making a joke about the Chinese. <laughs> you can't even get your fucking racism right. Yeah, that's like... <laughs> Have you seen that Twitter you... account? It's called like conservative cell phones or something. Oh God. There was a good one the other day where um, a YouTuber that I adore came out as trans and they put out um, a video about it, but they also put out a statement and a photo of themselves yeah. um, saying that they are a trans woman and their statement about coming out because they, they already have this public profile. Uh-huh. And um, <laughs> this guy replied to it. Hang on, I need to read the actual quote because 
It's all right. You can edit it out later. Okay. So Abigail Thorne came out and said, I'm a trans woman, Mm -hmm. and then had a screenshot of their statement and a photograph of themselves um, as themselves. Yep. And this guy replied, there's no such thing as a trans woman. You're just a woman. will never be a real man by the looks of it. You're not going to fool anyone either. <laughs> Can I please like, see? You can't even get your transphobia right. <laughs> I love it when people are so confused by their own bigotry that they end up actually giving people what they want. <laughs> Don't you love it when the trash takes itself out? <laughs> What's is a um, figured Pokemon games where your Pokemon um, ends up like backfiring its attack against the other thing and hurting itself, and it says it hurt itself in its confusion. And I just, <laughs> <laughs> I think that in my head quite yeah, often about right. those kind of things. No, I mean I can relate. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's our that's our Carolyn Calloway story, huh? That's Carolyn Calloway. Yeah, I don't know. I am still kind of fascinated by her story. Calloway? Um, I barely know her. <laughs> yeah, that's how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. A lot of the attention is more pointed, I think, because she is a girl. Like, yeah. I'm, and, I'm, like, this seemingly, like, I guess privileged and also callous girl and it's confusing and complicated because those like those things are true and worthy of criticism yeah it's like and the the issue the thing that i think is problematic is not something that's existing over here and like i think it's true that there's many problematic things about her but Mm. this other thing that i think is quite problematic is a thing that's sitting over in the in the realm of the audience like in the understanding or the reception of the audience. Yeah. Like there's plenty of criticisms to make. There's something about the way that they're being made. Also, people love a scammer. People love a good grifter. Like people are obsessed with that. As Anna Delvey, she's mentioned in the yeah. thing that she was the one who was pretending to be like a Russian heiress or something yeah. and got to swan about with um, celebs and A-listers and stuff because they assumed she she wasn't as beautiful as other people there, so she must be there because she had money. <laughs> I remember being really taken with that story as well. Um, but not wanting to go there and remind myself too much of it mm. because I was like, let's let's not get me distracted. Like, oh, yeah, it's Caroline another story. Right now, yeah. yeah, but, like, there's also, like, a huge fascination with her. I th- and Trump is a grifter. I think it's like... Um, We're obsessed with that dude. People who are able to operate in that way, th- there's like two elements that I think are really interesting. Number one, the charisma. Mm-hmm. And being able, like this really interesting capacity to wield social power really effectively and to really engage and suck people in and like, what's that about? Yeah. And then also people... There's something about people who engage in that particular set of behaviours who run game, mm. who they're existing so far out of outside of a normative framework. Mm. Like they're fucking shit up and they're hurting people and that's not admirable, but there's something very ballsy in it that... Yeah. Like you, you can do the same kind of thing, but have it be good too. And I think that there are some people who use it in a good way, mm. but it's less sort of... 
you probably notice that a little less because these ones are a bit juicier. Yeah. When shit gets fucked up because yeah. of it. Because it's nastier. But I think that those are really interesting elements. Yes. Like, how do they get there? How do they do that? What's mm. the thing? What's the set of behaviors? It's, it's do like they learn a, it? Are they just born that way? It's like uh, it's like a secret It's secret power. Yeah. And you're like, how do I get that power? But yeah, also, totally. if I had that power, would I wield it to hurt people the same way that they have wielded it to hurt people? Um, could I wield it for personal gain without hurting people, but still personally gain? Like, it's this sort of amorphous thing that you're like, well, it's not like just being born into wealth that you have no control over. Like, this is something somebody is able to do and teach themselves to do, and it's a way of interacting with people. And, like, maybe I could be powerful. I mean, there's a – isn't there a correlation between um, the people in, like, CEO roles and psychopathy or, yeah, Yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the other things about it is that in as much as you are aware that you're wielding social power to control people to some extent, Mm. even if it ends up being in positive ways, like, the ethics are really questionable Mm. in either case because you're non-consensually sort of impinging on somebody else's autonomy. Yeah. It's bad, but we also, we fantasize about having other superpowers as well. Like, what if I could be invisible? Then would I go and spy on people when they're nude? Would I use that to steal from people? Like, when you ask people what superpower they want, they often say invisibility. And then you're like, but then what would you use it for? And you're like, well, actually, you'd probably use it for a lot of really shitty things. Yeah, I'm going to go into somebody's house and take all their biscuits. And then just dunk them in tea and put them back. (laughs) And I eat them noisily in the corner. (laughs) Okay. Shall we move on? Bracket battle. I don't think I have anything more to say about Carolyn, except I'm sure there will be more to this story. Where did those kneecaps go? (laughs) Um, All right. Hashtag Carolyn's caps. them out on paper like you did hey and i have so many here i have too many my reasoning behind this a little while ago trump's reign on twitter finally came to an end (laughs) years of terms of service breaking actions hadn't led to his removal because i believe twitter still found him useful and profitable yeah uh, he was constantly advertising the Twitter brand yep. and bringing people to it. Yes. So now as an ex-president, his value has dropped and uh, didn't, didn't add up anymore. So they got rid of him. Um, so all those tweets gone into the wind. Oh, wow. I don't know if they get archived by, like, I know, like, official um, uh, president correspondence all gets archived um, by the White House, but I'm not sure how they're doing that with Twitter, and also if that would include things that he had done before he was president or whatever. True. So let us, for this bracket battle, conveniently forget his reign as a mass murderer and a fascist 
and ejecting people from uh, his country and locking their children in cages while posing and grinning in front of stacks of McDonald's burgers. Like, let's forget he's a monster. He is a monster. Let's focus on the fact that he was chronically online. (laughs) Okay. He was a poster. He could not stop posting, much like myself. I mean, hard relate. Um, So... Hashtag Trump shower thoughts. (laughs) So I've collected uh, a bunch of his best tweets here, and I think we should battle them off to find Trump's best tweet. Trump's best tweet. Mm -hmm. You heard it here first. Now, I'm sure that I've missed some good ones that weren't, because, like, it's all gone now. I can't search actually back through his archives. So I've had to dig up ones that people have, like, screenshotted and, like, talked about. Yeah. So... I've probably lost Those some of the my favourites. limitations on the research design here. Okay. So I've All got right. them. These are in no particular order, and I do have dates for them in case that helps. You ready? I'm not going to do his voice. I can't do his voice. So I'll just try and imbue this with the emotion I feel like there is yeah. intended. Yeah, look, okay. you just go for it. So this is from the 17th of October, 2012. Robert Pattinson should not take back Kristen Stewart. She cheated on him like a dog and will do it again. Just watch. He can do much better. It's true. He should date somebody who's heterosexual. <laughs> Versus 25th of October, 2014. Now, this is a retweet. So <laughs> it has the name of the person that he's retweeting uh-huh. at the start. So the account he is retweeting is called Cat Penis. <laughs> he said, at real Donald Trump, I respect your integrity, sir. Rock on. Wow. Um, cat penis for sure. Cat penis. Cat penis. <laughs> See you, Robert Pattinson. Uh, 16th of October, 2012. The Coca-Cola company is not happy with me. That's okay. I'll still keep drinking that garbage. I mean, hard relate. <laughs> Versus May 27th, 2010. The dunes here are amazing. And they're how I learned about geomorphology, which is the study of movement landforms. We had a great trip. At Coke, obviously. (laughs) Okay. Makes me feel better about all of that uh, Nestle baby formula I drank. Okay. 2nd of August, 2019. ASAP Rocky released from prison and on his way home to the United States from Sweden. It was a rocky week. Get home... (laughs) Get home ASAP, ASAP. Oh, what? When? When? When was that? 2nd of August, 2019. Uh, is he the president when he tweeted yeah, that? Yeah, he was the president when he Jesus tweeted that. And he had Christ. sort of organised or in some way helped the release of ASAP, Jesus. or he felt that he had anyway. August 21st, 2012. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Both Transformers and Dark Knight featured Trump properties and each grossed over $1 billion. <laughs> just, coincidence? Just coincidence. <laughs> All right. So ASAP Rocky or the $1 billion grossing of those movies? I think it has to be ASAP Rocky. <laughs> just got to go with the most egregious every time. Okay. Oh, now this one is a picture. Um, okay. I'm going to have to right. bring it up. All right. So this one is from... November 27, 2019, and all this tweet contained, it was this image. (laughs) 
so it's Trump looking at ripped as shit and oiled down with some boxing gloves on, some little shorty shorts and one of those big old belts with like a dinner plate made out of gold on the front and also like a little portrait of somebody on the hip. Uh, so okay. it's, it's Rocky though. All right. He's it had sure is. his head photoshopped onto Sylvester Stallone, I believe, as Rocky. Can I please just read out a tweet to you on this? Sure. Pope Francis posts at the Sliced Alone. Hello, Sylvester. Despite my best efforts, I'm sad to say you are going to hell. Pope Francis further tweets, I tried everything, but after a while, there was only so much I could do. I could not save you from the fire, and once you die, that is where you will go. And again, if it were up to me, Sylvester, you would not go to hell, but it is not. Your fate is out of my hands. I pray for you. Sylvester Stallone, replying to the Pope, Are you sure? Pope Francis replying to, at the Sly Stallone, sadly, yes, our Lord has spoken. Sylvester Stallone replying to the Pope, but I was Rambo. End scene. <laughs> he was. <laughs> he was Rambo. <laughs> it's true. He's got a point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 28th of October, 2012. Yes. Bette Midler talks about my hair, but I'm not allowed to talk about her ugly face or body. (laughs) So I won't. (laughs) Is this a double standard? (gasps) Oh my God. It's reverse (laughs) feminism. Wait, what? That one. Uh, the Bette Midler yes. uh, not mentioning her ugly face or body? Yeah. Okay. All right. Goodbye, Rocky Stallone. Do you remember Bette Midler on The Simpsons fucking up people who like litter? <laughs> yes, I do. I'm not going to fuck. That's very bold of him. I wouldn't fuck with her. A classic. Mm-hmm. 31st of May, 2017. Despite the constant negative press, Kofifi. <laughs> We still don't know what he was trying to say. Did you see that um, there's a Trump um, eyeshadow palette? Wait, did you send that to me? I sent yes. it to <laughs> And one of the colours is Café Fé. Yes. Yes. Um, this is from the 14th of January, 2019. Uh-huh. Best line in the Elizabeth Warren beer catastrophe is to her husband. Thank you for being here. I'm glad you're here. It's their house. He's supposed to be there. <laughs> I want that one. Do you want that one over Kofifi? Yeah. Okay. Kofifi, old news. Old news. All right. 16th of January, 2020. I just got impeached for making a perfect phone call. <laughs> okay. In all caps. Yep. 28th of September, 2014. Every time I speak of the haters and losers, I do so with great love and affection. They cannot help the fact that they were born fucked up. I want that one. I relate to that so much. <laughs> oh my god, am I Trump? <sighs> I mean, we all have some evil inside us. Inside us, there are two wolves. <laughs> one of them is Donald Trump, <laughs> and the other one wants a toasted sandwich. 
Okay. 27th of July, 2011. People ask me every day to pose for pictures, but the camera never works the first time. They are never prepared, or maybe just very nervous. Is it Wolf Puppy that's like, people always ask me, a lot of people say to me things, but I am too busy brushing my hair and being a beautiful model. That's what life is all about. That's definitely Wolf Puppy. <laughs> that, like... Yep. Same, same it's energy. It's the same. It's the same tweet. Yep. 10th of August, 2015. Truly weird Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky reminds me of a sport brat without a properly functioning brain. He was terrible at debate. <laughs> I want the camera thing. The camera one? Okay. It's going to lose out to something else. 14th of October, 2012. I have never seen a thin person drinking Diet Coke. If they were already thin, why would they have to drink Diet Coke, idiot? I think that's why the Coca-Cola company was mad at him. <laughs> Second, oh, sorry, 3rd of May 2013. Amazing how the haters and losers keep tweeting the name Fuckface Von Clownstick like they are so original and like no one else is doing it. I want the fat people Diet Coke. Fat people Diet Coke it is. Mm -hmm. 7th of the 4th, 13. Sorry, folks. I'm just not a fan of sharks. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> and don't worry. They will be around long after we are gone. Uh, all right. <laughs> Disturbing news from the Oracle. Um, this is from the 21st of December, 2011. Barney Frank looked disgusting, nipples protruding in his blue shirt before Congress. Very, very disrespectful. Nipples. <laughs> Sorry, sharks. Sorry, sharks. It's all about nipples now. <laughs> um, this one is also a retweet. So it has the name of the poster at the beginning. Uh, this is the 29th of June, 2013. At, this is by Young Based God. At Real Donald Trump. Your dad gives good brain? Damn. And then he replied, it's called jeans. You get it? Yeah. This is a long one. 28th of May, 2019. I was actually sticking up for sleepy Joe Biden while on foreign soil. Kim Jong-un called him a low IQ idiot and many other things, whereas I related the quote of Chairman Kim as a much softer, low IQ individual. <laughs> 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 Who could possibly be upset by that? Good brain. Good brain? Yeah. Your dad gives good brain? Yeah. Okay. Ooh, I have three left, so we're going to have one that's just on its own. Mm -hmm. This is from the 3rd of January, 2018. Uh-huh. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un just stated that the nuclear button is on his desk at all times. Will someone from his depleted and food-starved regime please inform him him that I too have a nuclear button but it is much bigger and more powerful than his and my button works <sighs> they did not kick him off Twitter after that just pointing that out <laughs> gonna kill everyone get yeah. him off Twitter make uh, him say that shit by email <laughs> okay and 11th of September 2013 I would like to extend my best wishes to all even the haters and losers on this special date, September 11th. That one. <laughs> now, take 
the last one and just like battle it against one of these loser ones. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, they're not the loser ones. They're the winner ones. They're the winner ones. Okay. So yep. we just got those mixed up. Yep. So let's go the one we just had, which mm-hmm. was um, extending the best wishes to the haters and losers on September 11th. Yep. Haters and losers need love too. Versus uh, losers and haters. My IQ is one of the highest and you all know it. Please do not feel so stupid or insecure. It's not your fault. Uh, September 11th still. Uh, cat penis, I respect your integrity, sir. Rock on. Okay. Versus, Bette Midler talks about my hair, but I'm not allowed to talk about her ugly face or body, so I won't. Bette Midler, ugly face and body. Bette Midler beats cat penis. Bette Midler, love your face and body. <laughs> uh, the Coca-Cola company is not happy with me, and that's okay. I'll still keep drinking that garbage. <laughs> Versus... People ask me every day to pose for pictures, but the camera never works the first time. Uh, Coca-Cola is garbage. Coca-Cola is garbage. Sweet. I've never seen a thin person drinking Diet Coke. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Versus, your dad gives good brain. Damn. Fat people. You got the two Coke tweets in there. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Barney Frank looked disgusting. Nipples protruding in his blue shirt before Congress. Very, very disrespectful. Sounds hot. Versus ASAP Rocky released from prison on his way home to the United States from Sweden. It was a rocky week. Get home ASAP. ASAP. Very tough. Very tough. I'm going to go for nipples. Nipples. And then we have... Every time I speak of the haters and losers, I do so with great love and affection. Versus... The best line in the Elizabeth Warren beer catastrophe is to her husband, thank you for being here. I'm glad you're here. It's their house. He's supposed to be there. Haters and losers, I love you. Yep. Okay. Oh, we're getting down to it. Yeah. All right. How about Barney Frank's nipples versus (laughs) a thin person. uh, I've never seen a thin person drinking Diet Coke. Uh, Diet Coke. Diet Coke. Yeah. Love it. The Coca-Cola company's not happy with me. Happy with me. The garbage Coca-Cola yep, one yep. versus Bette Midler's ugly face or body. Bette Midler's ugly face and body. Okay. Hoo-hoo. And then we just have uh, the best wishes to the haters and losers on September 11th versus <laughs> the haters and losers I speak about with great affection. They can't help that they were born fucked up. Uh, best wishes to haters and losers on September 11th. Okay. Hoo-hoo. Oh, wow. We're down to three. All right. So now I think you need to pick the winner. Okay. Of the three rather than you doing two and one. Yep, yep, yep. So we've got 11th of September 2013. Uh I would like to extend my best wishes to all, even the haters and losers, on this special date, September 11th. It's very magnanimous of him on American Christmas, (laughs) September 11th. (laughs) 28th of October 2012. Bette Midler talks about my hair, but I'm not allowed to talk about her ugly face or body, so I won't. Is this a double standard? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And finally, 14th of October 2012, I have never seen a thin person drinking Diet Coke. September 11, haters and losers. Merry Christmas. That's our winner. Best tweet by Donald Trump. Donald Trump. I think it's got all, all the time. elements of yes. a good Donald Trump tweet. Yeah. It's... Mentions the haters and the losers. Haters and the losers. Which is like, 
his speech patterns have impacted the way everyone talks now, right? And like that is definitely part of, yeah. Number one, haters and the losers. Number two, September 11. And that it was on September 11. Yeah. But that he was so completely blind to the empathy that he should be showing in that attempt. It's like he knew he needed to say something. Yeah. But he seemingly had no idea what it is yeah. that he was supposed to say. He had the wrong, he had the wrong, completely wrong social response. Like there was no gravitas to it, and he was just best being wishes. Like a promo media guy being like, "Good luck from me, Mary nine eleven. Yeah, yeah. Just complete lack of empathy. Wrong tone. The mentions of haters and losers and September eleven. Like a beautiful. That is the winning tweet. And so now we get that tattooed on he our body. He also, like, positioned himself, like, he centred himself in the narrative about September 11. Yes. Like, it's I about my haters and the losers mm. who hate me, idiots. September 11 is now about people who hate me. <sighs> well, I'm glad we got that sorted out. Yeah. Once and for all. It's done. It's decided. Now we may never think about them again. Now we can look at all his crimes and uh, put him in prison or whatever. See you at the hog, bitch. <laughs> and that brings us to our final segmento, mm. which would be hyperlocal news. Hyperlocal news. Do you want to start? Yeah, I'm going to get in and start. All right. Feral deer. Feral in, Feral deer. deer in Balbari. But the post has disappeared. There's deer wandering around in the 4070 causing trouble and recipes. And it was quite and con- recipes. And recipes. It was quite controversial. Someone said, "Leave Bambi alone." Somebody else was asking, "Sauce or marinade?" Oh, and oh, oh, oh. reportedly, a couple of boomer bootlickers wanted to report the deer to the council. But the real story is, why is the post gone? Yeah. And so I quizzed somebody else who has a Belbari connection. Yeah. To find out more, and they report that. The deer showing up in Belbari has happened forever, and there's a white stag. Oh. Um, <laughs> and this person writes to me, Did you know that? There's a white stag in them thar woods. <laughs> and apparently, they saw the stag a bunch when they lived out that way. Doesn't that mean it's her Patronus? It's Sorry your dead dad. Them. I've read Harry Porter's. <laughs> their dad's not dead. I don't know. Not yet. The deer's going to kill them. Isn't that how it goes? Oh, fuck. I don't know. My <laughs> teenage rebellion was not engaging with Harry Potter. All right. So my, I have two things. First yes. of all, I wanted to point out things are opening up again. Arts are starting to happen again. And art happened. Art is happening. One COVID. art happened. So musicals are happening again. Oh, oh, what Shrek the musical? We have Shrek the musical has opened in Brisbane. Yeah, shit. And you know what's opening in Melbourne and Sydney this year? What? Hamilton and Moulin Rouge, and Brisbane has Shrek the musical. <laughs> Just wanted to point out that contrast. Yeah, I've been driving past QPAC. And I've noticed that there's Shrek the Musical. I love a good um, juxtaposition of lie and, of, of high and lowbrow. <laughs> and I feel like that yeah, is yeah, definitely. A, a definite mixture of high and lowbrow. Yeah. Which I appreciate. I also I have seen that um 
the merch you can get. Like, you know how there's always yes. at the front of yes. the Queensland Performing Arts Centre, you go, you see your whatever, Matilda, and you come mm-hmm. out and you can get a, a book or whatever. Like, you get something related to the yes. thing. So uh, they had uh, Mary Poppins a while ago and you could get a umbrella like her. Lame. You know, you get some kind of merch. The, the merch for Shrek the Musical is a headband with Shrek ears. I find it difficult to articulate quite why, but I actually just hate Shrek. Mm. I have a friend who loves Shrek, genuinely loves Shrek. It's been a long time since I watched it. I have the sense that maybe he was too grumpy to her and they shouldn't have fallen in love and like she deserves better. But I also find the whole like, oh, inside she's really fat, but that's okay. I just found it very trite and kind mm. of insulting. Yeah, I can see that. And also... I don't like Eddie Murphy because I think he hates women. Oh. And it's not just about all of those comedies he did in the 80s when it was fine to say how much he hated women all the time, mm. apparently, especially for comedic reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he acted like a real fucking turd about whether or not Mel B's kid was his. Oh, yeah. If you've got doubts about paternity... It is entirely open to you to say to the other person, maybe even through a letter or a lawyer, I don't care, and say, I have some doubts about paternity. Yes. If I'm going to be supporting this child, then I would like for you to consent to paternity testing. You can do that. Yeah. These people can do this. They've got truck tons of money. (laughs) It's like, it's not that expensive. Yeah. But he didn't do that. He said publicly that it's not his baby. Empirically. Yeah. He does not know. Yeah. He clearly thugged her at least once. The only way he could say that is if he did is if not they ever never. Her. Yeah. 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 Or if he knows for sure that he was sterile from the outset, which obviously he wasn't because it was his fucking baby. <laughs> yeah. So ends the tale of why I hate Eddie Murphy. Just Shrek be classier. Just be classier like me. Doesn't actually contain Eddie Murphy. There is another actor playing the role of the donkey. Just I, pointing that out. Uh, this is a story about why I hate Shrek. <laughs> and I hate Shrek because Shrek, as an amorphous, nebulous cultural phenomenon, has chosen to tolerate and endorse Eddie the Murphy. work of Eddie Murphy. Okay. That's fair enough. And I will not separate the art from the artist. That's fair enough. But I might still secretly watch some Eddie Murphy at home every now and then. Yeah. Maybe. I don't think I have. Because I can't watch any movies anymore. All I can do when I'm not at work is drink or doom scroll. No, don't do that. It's all I can do. I mean, that's also all I can do, except I don't drink. Uh, You're drinking right now. Yeah, with you. Yeah, that's and why I'm not doom scrolling. That's why I'm constantly hanging out with people <laughs> and have no time to do anything like prepare for this podcast oh. because I need to be with people all the time to justify the drinking. Yes, exactly. Right. Okay. Yes. I see. Now you're onto it. Yep. Seems healthy. Yes. <laughs> I'm very healthy. So that was my first thing that I wanted to note. The other thing is that uh, my friend texted me a picture and in New Farm, under New Farm Coles in Merthyr Village, yes. I believe this yes. is. Yes. Let me just double check this. Don't want to get the facts wrong. No. 
Um, I went to yep. the kebab shop near the Pizza Hut in New Farm, and you can get a kebab with a zucchini patty in it. They oh. were sold out, but I want to go back. I want to eat that zucchini patty. That sounds good. Yeah. Uh, I was wrong. It's a gasworks. So, Tenerife. Yep. In the gasworks car park, there was a car. This is some kind of Holden, and it looks like this. I've seen that car. It is covered in coins. Five cent coins. Yep. I wonder how much money that was. So they've been glued like in quite a, like, um... They're tiled. It's it's like uh, the penny floor resin yeah, video. Yeah, it's a very clear pattern. It's not willy-nilly. No. Um, but the whole surface, including the back windscreen wiper, if you swipe oh my god, left, yeah. there's a second photo from a different angle. Wow. And I was able to ascertain that it is owned by a comedy duo called Mac and something. What are they called? Imagine if it was in a car accident, like, and I'm just imagining it making the noise of you dropping a bunch of coins on the ground. <laughs> um, no, it'd be like in Sonic when he hits a wall yes, and all the rings come out. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'd be like that. Okay, on that, I have a video, I have a picture that I want to show you. Okay. Of a car that I saw. Just remembering as well that I was born in uh, 1986. Thick 86. Yeah. T-H-I-C-8-6. Yeah. I like it. I also like the bright orange car with the giant unnecessary spoiler on the back. They always just look like a tower rack to me. The comedy duo are Marty and Michael, who I'm not familiar with. Kind of makes it look like a disco ball from a distance. I am quite impressed. I wonder if it'd make it a bit like a tank. Have you armoured your car if you covered it in coins like that? Like heavier? Reinforce it? It would definitely be heavier, even though they're small coins someone sent me a meme right now and i'm just going to read it to you okay the year is 2031 you live in a macro rental flat with 12 other people in a complex which is owned by google and called the e-hive you are 39 everyone you know works at amazon or as a carer for the elderly today is monday you're one day off this month you decide to have a self-care day, so you use some of the tokens you've accrued through picking up extra duties at work to have sex with a cat sex doll you call Kit. She tells you you're a worthless loser and gives you a three-star rating on Dick Advisor. <laughs> Depressed, you get on the Tesla bus and buy one third-class ticket. This means you have to sit in the uninsured seats at the front with no seatbelt. The driverless bus runs over three people on the way, but thankfully they were homeless, so you don't have to pay damages. Your Spotify chip begins to play the new Mumford & Sons song, which you decide not to skip because you can't afford premium, even though you don't really like it as you prefer their earlier stuff. You arrive at the local Weatherspoons, which you dimly remember used to be a library at one point. They're all Weatherspoons now. You order a point from the app. You order a pint from the app with four refills and sit down to watch the national elections. You really hope the guy from Love Island wins because he's promised to euthanize, legalize euthanasia. Your only escape. Oh my god! It's so grim, but it feels so close to reality. I got that from my one friend from 4chan. <laughs> uh, do we know who's the author of that? No. No. It's all totally clipped out. It's I should uh, also credit that the pictures of the car were sent to me by my best friend. Hello, Rachel. <laughs> Hi, Rachel. <laughs> Is that all we've got? Did you have any yeah, other news that's stories? It. Okay. Nah. So that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening. I hope you have enjoyed um, <laughs> Carolyn Calloway and Trump. I am so sorry. He is a monster. But 
I just wanted to enjoy one of the good things that came out of his time, which was the ridiculousness of his way of speaking and the fact that he just could never log off. You don't have to apologise for being entertained by Trump, even though he's a war criminal. Well, I just did. Okay. <laughs> bye. Um, make sure you check us a follow on social media. Okay, bye. Bye.